0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our text begins today, I am weary, O God, I am weary and worn out. Can anyone here relate to that? Uh... I looked down too soon. I think I saw some hands go up here and there. Each of you have your own story. Um, I'm fairly tired right now. I'll, I'll admit I've had a pretty busy run the last couple of weeks, but that's not what we're talking about in this text. The weariness that overtakes us is not just from planning too much activity or not leaving appropriate margins for the inevitable extra things that will come in. No, our text today is a weariness that comes from a deeper need. Our ignorance or neglect of God, the battle with sin, in the fear that we may disgrace ourselves and somehow dishonor God please stand for the reading of scripture from Proverbs 30 it's a marvelous chapter I am sad that I'm only going to preach the first nine verses there's so much more really fun excerpts from Proverbs 30 that come in the latter two-thirds of it but Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. deny them not to me before I die, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Verse 1 tells us that these are the words of Iger, son of Jacob, and I'll probably pronounce his name five different ways before we're done with this. But uh, I'm curious to uh, know who this guy is and uh, wonder if you know much about him. Well, we've been in Proverbs since June, and we've been told that King Solomon wrote Proverbs. Uh, Well, he did, most of it, Uh, Proverbs 1, 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, that's the first nine chapters, and and then a new section, 10, 1, into uh, chapter 22, more Proverbs of Solomon, and then a couple of shorter sections, uh, the last part of 22 into 24, probably from anonymous sources, the words of the wise and the sayings of the wise, we're not sure who these are, then back to Solomon, Proverbs 25 to 29, more Proverbs of Solomon, Now, we know Solomon, uh, son of David, king of Israel, author of Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and Psalm 72, Uh, 11 chapters of history on him in 2 Kings, 9 more in 2 Chronicles. So we know quite a bit about Solomon, both the good and the bad. But who is this guy, Agur? And who is King Lemuel in chapter 31, these last two chapters? Well, we have today the words of Agur, son of Jacob. What do we know about him? Well, everything there is to know is right here. He's the son of Jacob. What do we know about Jacob? He's the father of Agur. (laughs) That's it. So we know nothing about him except his father's name, and that we get right away the introduction that he's tired and depressed. Uh, his first words are, are clearly autobiographical. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. This guy's down. I have not the understanding of a man. Now, one of the plausible explanations for the identity of Igur is uh, that he was a Gentile, not an Israelite. I, I can't prove that. That's speculation. But his, his weariness of the pursuit of god from a holy human perspective perhaps without even the divine revelation that israel had i don't know but it's just left him tired and stupid and he know that he's hit a brick wall in his pursuit of wisdom but having hit that brick wall Completely stymied in his pursuit of wisdom, God now speaks to Agur, and Agur speaks this truth back to himself and to us for our benefit and lays out the heart of what we all need to deal with our own weariness and despair. Pursuing wisdom from a human perspective will only leave us tired and stupid get that pursuing wisdom from a human perspective will only leave you tired and stupid pursuing wisdom from god truly leads us to growing insight and true wisdom pursuing wisdom from god truly leads to growing insight and true wisdom got three points first one's a little longer last two are a little shorter Uh, We'll get them all in. First and foundationally, our need for God, verses 2 to 4. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Other translations, instead of stupid, I don't know which is harsher, but uh, they say "I'm, I'm only a brute, or I'm brutish, not a man. Uh, asap speaks this way in, in psalm 33 uh, psalm 33 is an amazing uh, treatment of trying to discover the the, the, the the explanation of why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer and, and asap tries to understand this from a human perspective uh, and, and to explain suffering and he looked back on that and he said i was brutish and ignorant i was like a beast before you just not getting anywhere His search left him more animal-like than as one made in the image of God. Well, this crisis, my friends, I I hope it's obvious to you, it it continues today as the intellectual elites of our big universities and our small colleges and and big business and and government uh, have uh, come together into a radical secularism, a negative evolution or devolution from Genesis three, with Adam and Eve in the garden, when they rejected God, and so we're continually on that path of increasingly rejecting the knowledge of God, and it's developed into the pursuit of truth through human reason apart from God. In what a couple hundred years ago was called the Enlightenment, that has further developed today so that this human reason devoid of god has concluded uh, that not only do we seek truth apart from god but in fact there is no truth to seek there's no absolutes there's no morality defined by god what does that leave us stupid brutes but our new friend igua recognized the futility of this pursuit Confesses his own vacuum of wisdom and acknowledge the true source of wisdom. Now, you might say he needs to get counseling for his self esteem, but I don't think he's interested. He finds actually that where he is is helping him to understand better who he is and thus to seek God. Surely, I'm too stupid to be a man. I've not the understanding of man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Psalm 92, 5 and 6 says the same thing in reverse order. How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. Something about knowledge of the Holy One. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. So understanding that problem, understanding the problem of his life and why that exists, Agur begins his pursuit of wisdom by the pursuit of God. Now this isn't anything new. Pastor Jeff Unpack this for us in the very first chapter back in June. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or Psalm 9, verse 10, uses the same terminology as Igur. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Nothing rises to the level of importance as to gain the knowledge of the Holy One to know God. One of the Christian classics of the 20th century is uh, A.W. Tozer's book with that title, The Knowledge of the Holy. Now, some of you may have heard of A.W. Tozer. He's died almost 60 years ago, Uh, wrote this book in 1961. Uh, It's still available and still worth your time, but uh, about the 20 attributes of God are covered in short chapters. It's a, it's a good beginning way to begin to understand who God is and thus how you relate to Him. But it's not just knowing truth about God. Jesus, in His great high priestly prayer of, of John 17, takes this to the very personal level. In the beginning section of the, that prayer, He's praying to the Father and He said, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Where do you begin in the pursuit of God? Well, last Sunday I had the uh, wonderful privilege of speaking uh, to the people at Solid Word Bible Church in northwest Indianapolis, southwest of here, but uh, wonderful, wonderful time. I've done that two or three times over the years. And my text last Sunday was Psalm 19, actually a a sermon I preached here 17 years ago that I totally reworked for them. Uh, But it in some sense parallels this as God is revealed in the natural revelation of creation and the special revelation of Scripture. His creation of the world and the universe that can be discerned by the use of your five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. Some of you might add to that intuition. I don't know, but I don't have that. Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, such that it renders you and me without excuse to not humble ourselves before God and acknowledge Him. Igor approaches this like God approached Job by asking Job more than 50 questions in the latter chapters of Job. And a lot of them are like, who did this? Who did this? Can you do this, Job? Just to kind of put him in his place before the greatness of God. Well, Agur only asks five questions, um, but they're not easy ones. Uh, Number one, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? And then a two-part question to close out the Inquisition. Number five, what is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. It's a bit of sarcasm, I believe, to humble us, to put us in our place, to show us, frankly, how stupid we are apart from God and the knowledge of God. Now, we, we don't have to know everything. We're not going to know everything. What we know is actually very small, any, any one of us. Uh, we don't need, even need answers to all our questions. Job never got answers to all his questions. But he came to humble himself under the greatness of God and to trust God. And that's what we need. We must know God. One of my favorite quotations outside of Scripture, I've probably shared it with you in the past, I don't know, but it's from Maxie Dunham, former president of Asbury Seminary, current uh, 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 president emeritus of Asbury. And, and he wrote in his commentary on Exodus many years ago, he said, we can live with the questions. And by that he means the unanswered questions. We can live with the unanswered questions if we know who God is. We can live with the questions if we know who God is. And so we must know who God is and learn what we can about God, but but not so that you can be smarter than everybody else and write a great theological treatise about God and who He is, but as your path about God, knowing about God as part of your path to knowing God personally and knowing wisdom by which to live your life. Now, one of the things I increasingly work on as I read Scripture, knowing that it's one unified book from beginning to end, is to look for the connections and the parallels. The Bible that I use at home every morning is just scribbled all over in the margins with connections from this text to this text back to it. And uh, uh, I'm still trying to to see if before I die I can kind of get at least part of it understood. And uh, one here really grabbed me at least. Look at the first question. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? The last question. What is his name? What is his son's name? that stir any thoughts, any, any ideas that come to mind? Well, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. You don't just leap from one text to another and say, oh, this is this have to have a reason for it my, my first thought on that first question is that in the omnipresence of god he is everywhere and in his manifest presence god is revealed to be in different places at different times that doesn't undo his omnipresence but he is made evident here and here and here at this time and that time And so that could be what it means that God ascends and comes down. God ascends to his throne as a declaration of his sovereignty. He comes down to visit his people. So don't jump to the New Testament too quickly. But then the questions, what is his name? What is his son's name? Now, I'm sorry. I just immediately go to Jesus with that. I don't know what else to do, but... Then then I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Follow your own counsel here. Let's back up into the preceding question and and look at ascended to heaven and come down. Let's be careful. Is Agur really thinking of the incarnate Son of God who ascends and descends? I don't think he knew much about Jesus. Couldn't this just be a reference to Israel? To um, Israel, who is called the Son of God at times? It could be. Except that in John chapter three, you remember that late night—the the section before John three sixteen—that late night discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus about being born again. Nicodemus is struggling and, and 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 he's asked these questions and and he's still not getting it. And his last question is, "How can these things be?" Graham Goldsworthy writes. Agur's question in verse 4 is answered directly in Jesus' reply to Nicodemus in John 3, 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. His conclusion is that Jesus is actually quoting Proverbs 30. Now, I don't think Agur understood all the implications of the gospel, but I do believe he spoke better than he knew concerning the coming of Jesus, the true wisdom from God made flesh for our sakes and ultimately to fulfill our need for God. That's number one. And, of course, we could take off on that and develop that a lot further. I I hope the way we unpack the gospel week by week, on a regular basis, that you can take that journey somewhat on your own. If you've not been on that journey at all, we'd be happy to spend some time with you personally to help you with it. But to know that Jesus Christ indeed is God in the flesh, who came to die for our sins, who was raised from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who's coming again, and that our connection with God in a personal way is through Jesus Christ to receive Him, His gift of grace, to receive Him by faith. So our need for God, that's number one. Secondly, our need for God's word. Every word of God proves true. Verses 5 and 6, he's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Now, we have the natural revelation of God in creation. And the more vast and intricately fine-tuned science uh, becomes, and how it shows the universe to be, the more complex the human body and all other organisms and systems are, It seems to me the greater evidence and the absolute absurdity of believing in naturalism or random chance that all this just came about apart from God. We are without excuse to not give God the glory for what we see and hear and smell and touch and taste. Except for cilantro, of course. That's one of my unanswered questions. Why did God make that weed called cilantro? It didn't go over in first service either. I tried. I'm thinking there's probably some reason for it. It just hasn't been discovered yet. But it's definitely not to put in your salad or your burrito. I know that. But we are without excuse to not acknowledge God from creation. But natural revelation, as profound as it is, and as much as it leaves us without excuse, it's not enough for us to know God personally. We need special verbal revelation. We need God to speak us, speak to us, whom He made in His image, and, and that's one of the key, primary issues of what it means to be image uh bearers of god to be made in the image of god that we are made for relationship with him for ability to be in communion with him to get verbal connection even from him in ways that the beasts cannot and so he has spoken to us through his prophets and apostles as recorded in scripture as revealed to us in jesus in person and we won't develop that further today except to be reminded of Paul's words to Timothy a thousand years ago or so, and, and we don't know if Agur was the same time as Solomon. Maybe before or after, we don't know. But, but uh, at least a thousand years after after Solomon, uh, Paul's words to Timothy that affirms and sharpens in our thinking the value and importance of Scripture. Second Timothy three: How from childhood. You've been acquainted with the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's my personal testimony. It's some of yours as well. But here's this statement. All scripture is breathed out, inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. My friends, we neglect this book at the peril of our souls. I try to read widely. I try to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Sometimes I just have to put her down and say, no, <laughs> had enough for this week. I enjoy reading lots of things, but this is the daily, the daily reading. It must be the priority for all of us Read and meditate on Psalm 19, and that will draw you to the entirety of Scripture to understand how important it is to gain the knowledge of God, ultimately the path to salvation in Christ and the wisdom to live well. Now, before we move on, I do want to just say something about verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. We believe that God's word is progressive from Moses. Of course, he goes back and picks up the Genesis account uh, up to his time. But the oral traditions that God... uh, that were kept alive and that God brought to mind in Moses so that he could record it, all the way to the end of the book, from Genesis to Revelation, the last book written by John the Apostle. We believe it is all inspired, authored by the Holy Spirit, but through these human sources. So these are the bookends of Scripture, and everything is included. And it's complete now. We don't need any other Gnostic gospels uh, a few centuries later that have been claimed by some or golden plates of the Book of Mormon in just the last couple hundred years or, or any other work added to Scripture as we have receded. Do not add to his words. That's what Eger uh, uh, is sounding the warning about in terms of adding to the Bible. And the last book of the Bible, interestingly enough, makes the same point. John is writing, is just ready to close it out, and he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy, this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words the prophecy of, uh, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. That's pretty scary. That's pretty strong. the things that are described in this book. And interesting enough, prophecy is the area where people are most prone to add their own opinions and sometimes claim it is a vision from the Lord that is absolute truth. Well, don't add anything to this book of Revelation. That's what John is saying more specifically, but I believe it is more than that. I believe it is also saying, God, in written form, the Bible is complete, and we do not add any more. So, number one, our need for God. Number two, our need for God's Word. Number three our dependence on God for personal holiness, verses 7 through 9. This series was set out and speakers were plugged in uh, back in May, June, I'm not sure when it was, and the chart was all nicely filled in except on August 15th, my name was on there, but it was blank. And finally, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do, and Finally, while we're in the Adirondacks of New York, and um, I I decided I'm just going to read all the Proverbs. So I read all the way through Proverbs uh, carefully, and then finally I got to chapter 30 and I said, yeah, this is it. So that's when I started this. And then uh, the the way, just a little uh, sermon preparation instruction uh, when you're called on to preach, the first thing you do when you're preparing a, a, a passage for preaching is not go to find out what anybody else thinks in a book or anywhere else. You read the text, and you read it again, and you read it again. You get to know it pretty well just from your own observations, and then you can begin looking at other things. Well, as I read and I reviewed and reviewed Proverbs 30, um, Uh, just a couple of weeks ago now to prepare for today i was immediately reminded of the lord's prayer and i wondered if anyone else saw it Uh, our need for god and the knowledge of the holy calling to mind our father in heaven hallowed be your name our need for god's word calling to mind your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven god's revealed will But more sharply obvious, our dependence on God for personal holiness. Do you see it? Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And then give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give us this day our daily bread. And the reason for protection from either poverty or riches in verse 9, lest to be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And by the way, that's the only time Agur refers to God as the Lord, his covenant name, Yahweh. In our Bibles, all caps, L-O-R-D. The personal covenant name for God. Lest to be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So it circles back to the beginning, hallowed be your name. This dependence on God for personal holiness in everyday life is expressed in two requests, given with a sense of extreme urgency. Deny them not to me before I die. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that he was sick and imminently um, in danger of death. Rather that he had the same cloud of death over him that every one of us have over us this day. We walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23. We're all there in this life. Agur's point is, I I, I don't want to die as a liar, a deceiver, or a thief. Now, I don't know how familiar he was or if he'd ever even heard of the Ten Commandments. But it's fascinating that his focus of concern is on the ninth commandment and the tenth commandment. You shall not, nine is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet, which leads to his concern then that that might lead him, if that's not brought under control, to violate the eighth commandment you shall not steal. And then he's concerned with what that would do to his relationship with God, which leads to the third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Profane the name of God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But what I noticed here as I looked at these commandments and why he picks 9, 10 and then backs into 8 a little bit is that most of the other commandments are pretty concrete Uh, You can identify specific overt actions of what not to do or what to do. You you can almost gut out obedience to the Ten Commandments in your flesh. That's, That's the danger that we're in, to think we can do that. But to an extent, we can. Number two, don't make idols. Okay, don't. Don't get out your welder and the iron in your shop and and start making a God don't get your hammer and, and wood and nails and, and, and build a God just don't do that I think you can I think you can control yourself there uh, keep the Sabbath well, it might be a little harder but you know the Pharisees will help you so you'll know what to do to keep the Sabbath um, Honor your parents maybe a little less defined but you know six and seven don't kill anybody don't commit adultery I, I I can, I can obey that. I can gut it out and obey that. As long as I don't read what Jesus says about it in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm okay. The, the point is, just don't do it. But Iguer recognizes the really tough ones that you can't just tough out obedience on, that you really need a transformed heart to be a person of integrity, to be fully truthful all the time, to not fudge with half-truths or simple deceptions, and then to recognize the danger of coveting, the lust that can lead to adultery and stealing and murder, and along with that, the dangers of poverty and riches to learn contentment with what you have and dependence on God and to trust God to provide what you need. You see, igor understands the foundational sins that breed all other kinds of sins, a lack of truthfulness, a lack of contentment content with little to keep you from being a thief, content with much to keep you from turning against God into self-sufficiency. Now, there's so much help in other passages for both of these categories. These could be sermons unto themselves. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, be, 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 Be honest in everything. Warnings about riches, don't store for yourselves. Treasures on earth where your treasure is. Jesus tells us that your heart will be also. This is not just about money. This is about your heart. In Paul to Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Oh, really? Will we? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Everything in our culture tells us the answer to life is to get rich. The path to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving, this coveting, that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, our new friend Igur probably never met before. You've read the passage, but just kind of passed over it. He understands the contemporary problems in America far better than the experts in academia and business and government. That pursuing wisdom from a human perspective will only leave us tired and stupid. Pursuing wisdom from God truly leads to growing insight and true wisdom. May we be pursuers of God in order to be pursuers of wisdom. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power, the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Oh, God, help us to see ourselves as Agur saw himself and then not to wallow in despondency but to pursue you, to have a knowledge of the holy, not just facts about you but to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, God, our Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work to draw us, to show us our need and to draw us to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.